0: For me i like a sought after location or neighborhood which is really well thought of places which people like or places even if people were to think about them in their head they would say that's a good place that's going to do well in time Welcome to The Urban Property Investor. I'm your host, Sam Saggers, here to help you crack the code of real estate wealth. Today's show, we're going to understand what makes a good investment property. What is the Michael Jordan of investing? We're going to dig into what that looks like. We're going to dig into the three parts that make up a fantastic property investment. So it should be a ripper of a show. Welcome aboard. If it's your first time tuning into the show, play the program in double speed, get your life back. And of course, all the episodes I've done are actually lessons on real estate. So I tell you what, when it comes to being a property investor, there are some consistent things that you should look for when it comes to actually buying a property property for investment. Today we're going to go through the three metrics to look at when it comes to choosing a good investment property and designing yourself a portfolio which is going to lead to your wealth transforming over the years and of course setting yourself up for a consistent retirement. Now when it comes to your understanding of what makes a great investment property, I will throw the question at you. What do you think's a good investment property? I have my own opinion on this, and I think it boils down to three different metrics. To get above market value for real estate constantly, to lead the uh portfolio acquisition of investment. I think it comes down to three particular metrics. Real estate fundamentals, a growth strategy and your return on your investment. So today we're going to dig into these three particular elements when it comes to being a property investor and of course the first of which is real estate fundamentals, the 101 of real estate investment. What makes a good investment property? Well, I think when it comes to making a good investment property, you've got really three fundamentals, your location characteristics, Your land characteristics and your building characteristics. And no doubt, if you're a fan of the program, you've heard me talk about those three fundamentals in the past, but let's dig into them with a little bit more detail. Remember the three fundamentals when it comes to choosing a good investment property are location characteristics building characteristics, and, of course, land characteristics. So let's think about the location. Location is obviously something which is paramount to investment, hence why you often hear the phrase location, location, location. I like rule 10 when it comes to choosing a location. You want 10 good elements that make up that location's uh, benefits that out certainly outweigh its negatives. For me, I like a sought-after location or neighborhood which is really well thought of, places which people like or places even if people were to think about them in their head, they would say, that's a good place, that's going to do well in time. Obviously, real estate is an opinion sport and if people like a location, if their opinion of that location is it's a good place or it's an emerging place or that makes a lot of sense when you speak to smart people, if the community in that location likes its own area, you're usually off to the right track. I think when it comes to another point of what makes a good location, proximity to employment. Today, people will have to, uh, you know, navigate them, themselves around big congested cities for the most part. And of course, people like to live close to jobs And if there are great jobs nearby, great skill, then that location will do very well when it comes to real estate investment. Obviously, if consistently people find a locality appealing and that consistent appeal draws more population, more people want that particular location, then you generally see over time price escalation simply put if more people want to live in a place and there are only so many properties to go around then you get this consistency of activity which creates appeal obviously when it comes to what that looks like if there's limited supply in an area compared to the overall demand in that area Then that location is going to do pretty well over time. I tend to also like locations whereby people have made money, they're spending money on their own properties to improve them. They're basically recycling equity, but retaining it in their real estate and improving the value of their real estate. I think it's a really good signal that a location is going to do well. The next sort of part of Rule 10, if you like, is good transport. Today, movement is important. How people get around, how people get to work, how people get to the local shops, how people get to the local activity centre. It's all very important for a success of a property over a period of time. I think uh, when it comes to choosing a great location, good parks, green space, amenity, third spaces, these tick so many boxes for what makes a good investment property. And of course, attractive character places, which include all sorts of different styles of dwellings, apartments, houses, townhouses, parks, trees, all of this adds value to a neighbourhood and, of course, is a very good signal that an area will do well. Low crime rate, obviously, uh, tenants don't want to live where there's high crime and, of course, owner-occupiers don't want to buy where there's high crime or won't pay a, you know, an expensive amount of money if a place is a dangerous neighbourhood. Walkable, walkability, it's an important metric. How walkable is the neighborhood? How nice is it to move around on foot or cycle? These are very important metrics to choosing a really good location. And of course, local shops, local schools, local amenities all make a lot of sense when it comes to the fundamentals. Remember, there are three fundamentals when it comes to choosing a good investment. There when choosing a good investment there are the fundamentals, a growth plan and a return on investment. The second fundamental is better building. So obviously if you can buy yourself a property which has got really good building characteristics you're going to see the result of that in particularly its rental appeal. Now for properties a bit run down, a bit stale, a bit past its use by date You're just not going to own an asset which is going to see the best result from an income generation point of view. You might have to swap your income to reinvest in the property and work on its return. However, if we look at what typically people pay a lot of money for when it comes to building characteristics, it's good design, it's good space, it's even things like Art Deco apartments, it's things like terraces, Edwardian properties uh, and also modern properties which but whereby people have a sophisticated level of comfort. Today, uh, newly renovated or newer properties are actually getting a premium in the marketplace because of their building characteristics. Very, very important part of the puzzle. Remember, the question here is what makes a good investment property? And we are digging into three really critical fundamentals. The final fundamental, if you like, is the land itself. Obviously, land is positioned somewhere. Now, uh, if this is an apartment and a townhouse or a A villa, it's going to have less land content than, for example, a freestanding house. So with townhomes and apartments, what we're looking for is the asset to free space ratio. Really, what we're looking for, if you like, is an apartment complex, perhaps next door to a park or uh, a townhouse complex across the road from some green space. What this does is it creates free space for the asset. And so quite often, uh, certainly when I look for real estate, which has very good fundamentals behind it, fundamentals for it to be seen as more valuable, I'm always looking if I'm helping people with their affordability constraints by buying apartments or townhouses or villas, always looking for dedicated public land nearby an asset and understanding how much public land is close by to an asset so you can proportion what is fundamentally free space and of course this is how people find apartments appealing when they can take their kids across the street and kick a footy in the park. I've seen over the years, very, very good returns on those type of investments because of the asset to free space ratio. And of course, uh, when it comes to land characteristics, I might do a complete podcast on just that section alone because it is a very, very interesting section of the marketplace. But one other way to analyse good land is quite often what is referred to as the land to asset ratio. And particularly for houses, this is a fundamental which really does, uh, you know, basically drive housing. The land to asset ratio is basically the proportion of the overall property value made up of the land component. And Of course, uh, if I was to give you an example, if you had a million dollar property and the value of the land was $500,000, then the asset must be worth $500,000. So your dwelling, if you like, the house itself is worth $500,000 in this example, the land is worth $500,000 the equation, if you like, the land-to-asset ratio would be 50%. Now, again, there is really uh, many ways to look at the land characteristics of the land-to-asset ratio. If the land is the major component of the acquisition or the property, it may just mean the asset, is past its use by date and you may need to, if you are thinking about buying it, add some value to the property or uh, you might end up actually overcapitalizing on the property to bring it up to a more modern standard. So you just need to look into what that looks like. Personally, at a bare ass minimum, I like uh, 50%. And the reason being is I like using the rent from the building characteristic to pay off the land. Obviously, getting a better rental return from a better building helps you, obviously, with your debt levels on the land component. So 50% is uh, sort of a good guide. um, If you can get sort of more land uh, and pay less for the building but still get a very modern building, it's also a very, very good way to extract value out of the fundamental of land characteristics but just beware like some properties which for example are 90% land and 10% building or 90% land to asset ratio like the land basically has a dwelling on it which needs to be bulldozed and really then you've got to build on top of it i.e. knock down, rebuild, and that may actually mean that you end up with a higher asset ratio than land. So it is a little bit fiddly, but for the most part, if you're buying something modern, you may want to look at the land asset ratio. Just make sure you're sitting around 50% and so you can Extract some some good value out of the lands and its growth, but also use the dwelling to pay down the land. You know, when it comes to the idea of the uh, fundamentals of real estate, I think it's really really important to understand that suburbs are all different, locations are all different, land in different suburbs are going to be different again, and buildings in different suburbs are going to be different again. If you were looking in a premium suburb, you're probably going to find higher levels of income, but of course, in those more premium suburbs for investment, you may just find that properties are a little bit expensive, for example, in the housing market, unless you're willing to look for, you know, one and a half, two, two and a half million dollars, you're probably miss the boat with housing so inside of premium suburbs you would probably look at apartments or uh, townhomes and so you would be using uh, asset to space ratio or the asset to free space ratio if you were looking in a more blue ribbon suburb to get that extra bit of growth If you're going to an affordable suburb, what you're looking for is livability and of course a more affordable suburb may mean you are looking at housing or even town housing and of course depending on which asset, you may look at the asset to space ratio or uh, you may look at the uh, land to asset ratio and of course for a lot of property investors, they are also having to go further and further afield and of course if you're going to go to a suburb whereby uh, the fundamentals qu- aren't quite there yet, the characteristics of that suburb and the land characteristics, the building car- they're all emerging. The best thing you can do if you've got a budget constraint and you are investing in a suburb which really uh, has to go a little bit further on its journey to be qualified as, you know, a really, really top quality place to invest, then you've just got to use really the same framework. And again, people who perhaps are spending four, five or $500,000 trying to keep up with where prices are at these days, then, you know, there's going to be trade-offs. And of course, quite often those trade-offs just mean as you invest in those emerging communities, places which really need to form as a suburb, their early days when it comes to their um, appeal, so to speak, then you really want to do some niche-level due diligence. You want to buy the better locations in those areas, you want to buy the better land component in those areas. So obviously, when we're talking about understanding what makes a good investment, there are kind of three parts to the puzzle, the fundamentals which we've been through. Obviously, the ability for growth to occur. So I'll talk you through the 4X growth plan. I know many of you are familiar with it. And of course, return on investment. So let's have a chat about really the 4X growth plan. What is your understanding of capital growth as an investor? If I asked you, what is your understanding of capital growth? You would probably answer most people I ask this question to sort of answer, you know, real estate goes up, it happens over a period of time. And, And that is a really, really, really good answer. But actually, real estate can go up from four different elements. And I call this the Forex Growth Plan. You can get market growth on real estate, which we'll talk about. You can make money by buying a deal, adding value to it, which we'll talk about. You can make money through understanding how the location of an area actually works. And of course, you can make money being predictive about growth by buying a behaviour. And we'll talk a little bit about that as we go on. So if we talk about market growth, I think it's really, really critical to understand that real estate is driven through a couple of dynamics. The first one is uh, pie, population, infrastructure, and economics or employment. So we want to Make sure in our retirement, we have a big pie around us because as we give up our job, we're going to be swapping or arbitraging our income from our job from the income from our investment property. So we want pie, population, economics and uh, infrastructure all around our investment. We want it as efficient as possible possible. Of course other drivers of certainly what makes a good investment property are more short-term drivers, things like supply versus demand, the rental return and of course the type of demographics which are part of an area. So understanding that real estate markets if you like go through different cycles and we call quite often this the property cycle or the property clock. Generally speaking, you've got a couple of directions a market can go. Market can go through an upswing, even into a boom. It can go through a downswing and generally slump through a period of time and then the whole cycle sort of starts again. And so right now in the marketplace, if you like, we're going through a bit of a slump period, a period of little activity and price growth. Uh, However, we are starting to see gross rents grow as new supply becomes really, really scarce and more people are certainly at the moment renting in the marketplace, putting a lot of pressure on the rental returns. Obviously, uh, in a market bottom, you've got a period of time where developers really don't produce stock, they land bank, and new supply levels are fall to an all-time low period. Because if you're a developer, then you're producing something to sell. And if the market's a lot weaker, you don't bother producing it. So, When it comes to obviously understanding the market, the market's going to be very important to your investment properties uh, situation. It's going to be really, really important. In fact, when I study marketplaces, I think it's very important to consider having your money uh, linked to marketplaces which are going to be bulletproof for your retirement. You don't want a speculated economy. You don't want industries which are flaky. You don't want industries which are disappearing. You always want your real estate to be connected to the evolution of economics. People's jobs are changing. Things are morphing all the time. And of course, if you're trapped in a market, an overall market, which is connected to an industry which is prone to volatility and fluctuation, then your real estate is going to be what we call saw, in a sawtooth market. It's basically going to go up, it's going to go down, it's going to go up, it's going to go down. And of course, the day you retire, you don't want that volatility, you just want sensible places to own your real estate. So market uh, places to invest or market areas are very critical to the overall dynamic of choosing and understanding what makes a good investment property. I would say market is one of the most important characteristics you need to understand. Markets will always bottom. They'll always begin to recover. They will always begin to rise and rise, and they'll always go through a hot period of time. But for the most part, you just want an area whereby that influence happens faster than other places. Typically speaking, in Australian real estate, Sydney and Melbourne go through peaks and troughs very, very quickly because most of the population lives there. Now we've got places like Southeast Queensland, Brisbane, and so forth that are very equitable, I would imagine they would also join both Sydney and Melbourne as places which go through their market cycle quicker. And they go through these things quicker because there's just more population, there's more money floating around and so things don't sit at the bottom for so long. What I found over the years is economies which are very small, There's not much market aggregate to the economies. Uh, There's not a lot of population. There's tens of thousands of people, not millions of people. When they sit at the bottom of the market, they can sit there for quite a long time because they just don't have the market aggregate or velocity to come out of a down period robustly. There's not a lot of government intervention. There's not a lot of... Uh, reinvestment into those communities when things go through a lull. So obviously, the market, if you like, will be influenced by things. And of course, as we know, there's all sorts of things that influence a real estate market from yields to a government's position on the market to how under-supplied it is, to what kind of tax advantages are out in uh, those particular markets, to how they attract migrants, to how money's lent, to how much equity is in people's homes, for those people to trade up and move around and buy and sell in their own marketplace, uh, what kind of infrastructure is being spent, what kind of leverages out in the marketplace for people to, uh, you know, choose, and of course. When it comes to the wealth effect, it is an important thing to understand when it comes to marketplaces. Now, again, the government won't engineer the wealth effect for uh, Rockhampton. It's just not going to happen. Why? Because there's only you know, uh, you know, fifty, sixty thousand people in Rockhampton. It's it's not going to move the needle. However, what we find over periods of time is the wealth effect actually unfolds for places like Sydney and Melbourne and Brisbane. Why? Because Australia's population lives there. And so when we go through periods of downturns equally, uh, quite often we go through periods of upturns whereby the government is influencing activity because they have an economy to run and they're not going to meet their budget surpluses and GDP movement if they don't reinvest in economies where there's big real estate marketplaces. So again, if you aren't familiar with structural shifts and wealth effects, then um, I would encourage you to, to start to understand them because when it comes to choosing... Real estate, I love being in really good marketplaces, really your top 10 cities in Australia. And and the reason being is because when there is this engineering of the wealth effect, it really does influence these uh, major cities first. And of course, they go on to get levels of growth, which are quite useful for your retirement. Now, when it comes to obviously choosing a property to make sure it's the right investment, uh, you can often go through the process of finding a property which you can make some money from. And really, in real estate terms, what you're looking for is something that is well-priced for the cycle you're in. And of course... When it comes to, again, the idea of choosing a really good investment property, if you can extract some money out of the property because you bought it at a great price, got a discount, gave yourself time for the market to mature, uh, added some value to the property, uh, renovated the property, got yourself a really cracking deal and and uh, instant sort of inherent value, then all of a sudden... The journey you're on is off to the races, so to speak. The caveat to that, of course, is don't buy a property just because it's got a good deal. Make sure it's got the other uh, key ingredients for property success, which I'm giving you today. And of course, um, when it comes to the idea of deal growth, you want to make sure that you extract a enough uh, money out of a deal by coming up with a deal-making strategy. And, of course, there are some great strategies out there. You know, you can do, for example, pre-construction. I've been helping people do pre-construction for a long period of time. And, uh, you know, certainly of recent time, geez, at settlement, everyone's a winner. Like, a lot of people making a lot of money before they even own the property by using delayed settlements – through time, uh, time management to make a lot of money. Um, again, you would only do that though if you had the property with the right ingredients for success. Obviously, you can do all sorts of trickier stuff, amalgamations. I've been doing an amalgamation recent times. I'm due to settle it. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's going to make some money. Putting a one and two bedroom together, making a three bedroom, extracting some value that way. So again, all sorts of ways to to extract value out of real estate. You can do a do-it-yourself renovation, no right or wrong, just making sure that the main theory is to pay a fair price for the cycle you're in. You don't want to pay too much or um, overpay for a property at the start of your journey at the point of time, you are going through that cycle. So it's a very important insight into making sure you choose a good investment property and a key ingredient as to what makes a good property to choose, right? So obviously, location is an important growth driver. And again, I've kind of highlighted the characteristics you're looking for when it comes to a location. And of course, if we were to drill further into a location, you've got the inner urban ring, the middle suburban ring, the outer ring. And of course, again, each area has its own dynamics on how to make money. Of course, for many property investors they need to understand how money works. And when you understand how money works, you can understand how to choose a good investment property, which is going in the right direction. Now, when it comes to understanding real estate, there are really sort of four forms of money. There is discretionary real estate and discretionary money. It's the top end of the food chain, if you like. And of course, Discretionary money will pay a lot for real estate. It pays in the millions for real estate. Quite often, discretionary investors, if you like, spend $1.5 to $2.5 million. Last year in 2022, I only did five discretionary deals, uh, whereby I helped people spend roughly anywhere from 2 to $4 million on real estate. And again, it's a different section of the location of real estate. Like you're, If you're putting your money in dis- discretionary markets, you're doing it um, with a little bit of science. What you can do, though, if you can't afford discretionary markets, is go to what I call aspirational markets. Aspirational markets are where people aspire to live aspirational markets can end up after 10, 20, 30 years as discretionary marketplaces. And, of course, this is how you see a location improve in value. And, of course, you can buy something affordable and highly livable. Again, for me as a real estate uh, negotiator, A big part of my job is understanding where the affordable and livable gap is. What people can afford to borrow, what is a highly livable place, yet ticks the box of affordability. Affordable and highly livable areas end up becoming aspirational areas. It's just the way it works. So again, like when we're choosing these locations, we want to understand what the future of the location looks like, which direction it is headed. Because it's easy to choose an affordable property which ends up going backwards and actually the area doesn't improve in value and remains what we, what we refer to as disinvested. It becomes an area which no one wants to improve because it's just not a... Good example of a location. So, locations can differ and location growth can differ. And obviously, if you want a very high capital growth property, you're probably going to be in a discretionary marketplace, but it's going to have a very low yield. It's just the way it works. So, you can get a higher level of capital growth but it's going to cost you more to own and buy that level of capital growth. I own some real estate in discretionary markets. The capital growth is the best. It's been exponential. And But the cost, the actual cash flow every week to pay for that real estate is the most expensive. Of course, uh, the rental returns are disproportionate from what the real estate costs. However, the capital growth is pretty special. So again, you get, uh, you know, you pay for what you get in real estate. And uh, I think one of the best location plays for property investors is the aspirational section of the market or what I refer to as affordable yet highly livable when it comes to real estate investment. Obviously, what you're trying to do from an affordability play is end up in an aspirational place. If you're buying aspirational, you're looking to end up in a very discretionary pocket of the market. That all takes time. But you're never going to get there if you don't choose the right location. So When it comes to choosing a good investment property, again, We've looked at micro-location through the fundamentals, things like being close to schools and transport. and Then we've looked at macro-location fundamentals, making sure that the location is going to tick the boxes of the demand side of the equation, demand being the buyer. The buyer likes the area because it's aspirational. And, of course, when it comes to the final form of growth, predictive growth or behavioral growth. uh, It is a great way to add value to real estate. I mean, if I ask you the question, what's your interpretation of adding value to real estate? You may answer that question by usually saying renovating. Renovating is, whenever I ask someone what, when they think of adding value to real estate what do they think of the usual answer is subdivision or renovation and whilst that is also correct there is other there are other ways to add value to real estate and i like adding value to real estate by buying a predictor and we often refer to this in real estate as property design theory a predictor of growth designing capital growth is things are things that add value to to real estate for example a view or a heritage street that adds a huge amount of value to real estate or uh you know a uh Beautiful, beautiful tree line canopy street. It's it's a predictor, right? So again, like, uh, what else is a predictor? A beach, being next to the beach, it's a predictor of capital growth. So it adds a lot of value to your real estate, and it doesn't mean you need to renovate. And of course, my argument always has been. When choosing a good investment property, you can always renovate later, but you can't change the location. You can't change what behaviours that location has to offer when it comes to a predictive nature of growth. So we've had a look at the fundamentals, building characteristics, land characteristics, and of course, location characteristics. We've had a look at a growth plan which of course is the market, how that works, making sure we've got to choose a good investment property in a really safe market, which is going to perform down the track. We don't want a fad. There's a lot of fads in real estate. We want a proven place, which is going to exist in our retirement. We also want to choose obviously a location, which is going to grow in value and change its appeal over time it's going to go from affordable to aspirational or aspirational to discretionary and of course we if we can make some money on the way in get a bit of a discount as long as the fair market value for the cycle we're going into it's a perfect perfect way to approach buying and choosing a good investment property and of course those predictors things like a beautiful view orientation, north-facing, all of these elements improve the overall performance of the real estate over a period of time. And then, of course, there is this final part, which is the return, the return on the investment. Obviously, real estate is a mathematical equation at times. Uh, It is an important science to understand that real estate is about creating wealth and wealth is a fundamental series of numbers so we need to understand the idea of our return on our investment what we're investing our money into the actual rate of return and the total return and of course to understand that we want to make sure that we're judging a property fairly and correctly and we're doing the right maths and of course You know, quite often uh, there is a lot of diminishing returns in real estate, things which whereby a property, you just couldn't upgrade it because of its insurance risk or its operational cost risk, or it is full of capital costs, going to cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars to, to put it back together again. And of course, once you add that capital cost or hundreds of thousands of dollars, then investment doesn't really make sense, and of course, um, what that can do is create gaps. Things like the tenant can't pay enough rent to uh, because the the property is not appealing enough. So to make sure we're getting the best possible return on our investment, we want to make sure that we're extracting inherently enough out of the deal, and of course. That in itself can be analysed a few ways. You can do it through what is known as a total return. I like total return logic uh, because it is a good way to analyse real estate, particularly for people who are quite yield-centric. A lot of property investors are scared of dipping into their own pocket to pay for a property over and above what the rent can produce. One way to assist with that is obviously getting your depreciation allowances, getting a reasonable gross return, but also understanding that what makes you wealthy in real estate is generally capital growth. So what's better? A 6% yield with a two percent capital growth rate well that total return would be eight percent that is actually not going to make you as much money by way of example if you got a three percent return and yield but a seven percent capital growth rate obviously that total return in that example would be ten percent what is likely to happen is the compounding effect of your real estate improving with a higher capital growth rate and a lower yield is actually going to absolutely get you a faster rate of return. Your time in the market is going to be quicker. You're going to get where you need to go faster. You're going to compound on yourself over a period of time uh, in a much faster rate, by obviously choo- choosing a higher total return than just a higher rental return. It's a very important concept in real estate. If you took a 9% capital growth property and a 1% yield, you will outperform a 9% yielding property with a 1% capital growth rate. It's just the way it works over a period of time. You see the compounding effect separates people uh, and this is why some people end up actually multi-millionaires out of real estate and other people own real estate but have very little value in their real estate because they can't extract it because their capital growth rates are just too low. So it's an important dynamic you know, a lot of property investors I know who are now on loan-to-value ratios of like they, they literally, you know, are on loan-to-value ratios of 25% because they chose capital growth over rental return. Your total return logic is a very, very important principle to the overall speed of your return or your rate of return so it is critical to understanding that it is the best form of understanding how to invest so uh when it comes to obviously choosing the right investment property we want fundamentals we want growth we want to understand the rate of return return on investment and of course, uh, when it comes to the return on investment, I think it's pretty critical. You avoid the law of diminishing return. You use depreciation to increase your return. You obtain a better total return through both the growth and the yield rather than just thinking about the yield and of course, if you want to speed up your rate of return, you can also do that by pushing your rents up, extracting some value out of your real estate, improving the look and feel of the real estate as long as you're not overcapitalizing. So when it comes to choosing a really good investment property, these are kind of the elements I look for. And of course, uh they have served me very well over a long journey of property investment and they serve people i work for very well when it comes to choosing a good investment property hey uh, i hope you've enjoyed today's show i wanted it to be a little bit about real estate this week so uh, you uh, can get some good tips big part of my job is simply briefing you i hope you've enjoyed the brief if you feel like re- leaving a review, please do. I'll catch you next time, the next episode of the Urban Property Investor. Thanks for tuning in to the Urban Property Investor. To never miss an episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app or on YouTube. I would love it if you could give the show a rating and share it with your friends and family. In between episodes, you can always keep in touch with me by connecting on social media over Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Until we meet again on the next episode of the Urban Property Investor, take care and bye for now.